electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. This make-or-break hour begins with this big day in the market and the remarkable run for tech. And whether it's breakaway bounce from the rest of the market means it can't possibly last for much longer. We ask as the Nasdaq makes yet another strong move today, now on pace for its fifth straight week of gains. Here is your scorecard of where things stand with 60 minutes to go in regulation. Of course, the move in big tech has helped the S&P 500 Approach the 4,200 level. There it is. It's above it right now. We will see if we can get a close above that number as investors keep a close eye on any developments out of Washington regarding the debt ceiling duel. It's been a pretty broad-based move today as well, with discretionary names performing quite well. Financials, materials, industrials, they're also in the green. There's a lot of green, as you can see, on the board today. Takes us to our talk of the tape, this tech takeoff, and why some make the argument that it is not done just yet. That is the view of Tom Lee, Fundstrat's co-founder and head of research. He is, as you can see, with us live. Welcome back. It's good to see you again. Great to see you, Scott. Doesn't want to, doesn't want to let up. It certainly doesn't seem like it wants to. Why do you think it can continue, Tom? Well, we know bull markets climb a wall of worry, um, and we know that there's a lot of things that we visibly worry about, including debt ceiling, inflation, the Fed, regional banks. But I think the message that's come out in the last couple of months is companies have been incredibly resilient. You know, they manage costs really carefully. They've been selective in how they manage prices. They've been really good at targeting customers. And I think that's what's paying off. You know, they had a great first quarter earnings season. And as you know, at at several of these conferences, they haven't been cutting guidance. In fact, I think they've de-stocked. So I think there's still upside to earnings. That's one positive story. And the second, of course, is positioning because people really did rage sell last year, but we know that the bond market is sort of signaling a softer landing than many were expecting. I think that's positive for equities. So you think there's still going to be a chase to come, at least as it relates to tech, because you've gotten a year's worth of gains in these stocks, and in some cases you've gotten like five years worth of gains. It's been quite remarkable, and, and, and you know exactly what I'm alluding to, the, the fact that NVIDIA and stocks like that up 100% year-to-date plus and don't seem to want to let up. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, I think what's interesting about NVIDIA is that it, this was not a widely shorted stock into the results. So that 30% rally was really the market recognizing they have to reprice the future cash flows. I think that's pretty true for most of the FANG trade. You know, one of the reasons we thought it would be our top sector pick this year was that all this wage inflation and need to boost productivity was going to be solved by these fan companies. And that ultimately translates into better than expected growth. I think that's really the thesis. And it sort of explains why Fang, you know, has, has, has really led this year. But I, I don't find them actually expensive stocks. Wow. The divergence, though, between, you know, Fang and some of the others and the rest of the market doesn't concern you. I've, I've cited some of the numbers that are out. You've seen them yourself, I'm sure. Bespoke, the three-month performance spread between the S&P and the equal weight S&P, the widest it's been since December of 99. We all know what happened in 2000 and the point that is, you know, the intent of this data 
Tom. It doesn't make you a little nervous? Uh, it does, Scott, because, you know, market breadth is important to confirm uh, a trend. But but I also think it's, it's it's explainable. I think there are some binary events that naturally would make people cautious, like this debt ceiling. Uh, it's hard to say how do you find equilibrium price today. One thing that we pointed out to our clients this morning was that when you look at industrials and consumer discretionary, there's actually quite a lot of good market breadth, well above the S&P overall, and tech XFANG, and, and even healthcare. So I think groups actually have more performance underneath than is, is visible. I think a lot of people started too glib saying it's, it's just FANG and nothing else. There's roughly 200 stocks outside of FANG that are outperforming this year. That's actually not bad. I know, but it, but how long can it can it truly last if it remains as top heavy as it is, despite the fact that, sure, there may be some other stocks performing, but if you strip out, you know, let's say the 10 biggest names, the rest of the market's up like 4% collectively. That's right. Our team's been looking pretty carefully at what we call GIX level two. Um, you know, it's sort of the, the groups beneath uh, the 10 sectors. And there's there's a bunch of groups that look like they're about to break out, including the banks. So I think one of the groups to watch is the industrials and the banks, because if they start to react positively to some resolution on the debt ceiling, and we know there's a temporary foot bed put helping the regional banks, you know, that's another 40 percent participation in the equity market. So I think there's a lot of things that could go right, although I, I'd agree that the breadth hasn't been great. Yeah, but I mean, the, this tactical overweight that you have on the KRE, you know, the, the regional banks, why? why? Why urge people to take what I think fairly some would suggest would be outsized risk, just given what's happened in the space, and the idea that commercial real estate may still have a shoe or two to drop and it would be felt perhaps most acutely there. Uh, that's right, Scott. It's a, it's a tactical bet we're making. Uh, we, we, there's a lot of conditions that would negate that call, but our, our take at the time is governments and communities really do value the regional banks. And so the, the slippage that you lose from deposits not paying market rates is gonna diminish. I think loan to value isn't as egregious on commercial real estate uh, as the last wait cycle. In other words, uh, I think that there can be quite a big impairment on commercial real estate prices and you don't have realized losses. And if that's the case, then these regional banks are going to sort of come back from the, the low basement valuation. So I think that if that means they can rise 20 or 30 percent from here, it's still worth a tactical bet because we don't think they're going to zero. Well, what about the, the Fed, Tom? I mean, Every Fed member seemingly who's come on this network within the last seven to 10 days suggests it's foolhardy to think that, you know, we may be fully done. Sure, we may pause in June, but don't write future hikes off the table. It's sort of the message that Mester, Loretta Mester gave uh, today on, on this network. And there's been a drumbeat, really, of that. Uh, you're right, Scott. I, I don't want to fight the Fed in the sense that the Fed is concerned about inflation and, and they have to talk tough. But at the same time, there are emerging signs coming from the bond market that say that forward-looking data is supporting a Fed that could afford to become a little more dovish. I think today's PCE supports that. We sent out an alert to our clients. I think three things within that really told us that future inflation is coming down. One of them being that the three biggest contributors to core PCE, more than two-thirds of that rise was housing, financial services, which is because of higher interest rates, and used car prices. I don't think those are really inflationary drivers from the Fed's lens. And we also saw the UMICH, uh 
year ahead inflation come down, but actually it sort of reversed a lot of that surge last month. So I agree, Scott, I don't want to fight the Fed, but I think the bond market is saying the Fed might be able to stop looking at backwards data and start to look at market-based data. I know, but the, but the bond market, it seems, has come more in alignment with the Fed in, in recent days. And it feels like you still are fighting the Fed, at least in some respects, even though you suggest you don't want to, because at minimum, it feels like they may not hike anymore, but they're, they're going to remain high for a reasonably, you know, what they suggest would be a long period of time. The effects of that may not fully be known or felt to this point. So aren't you, in effect, fighting the Fed with a target year end of 4750? That's a long way to go from the 4210 that I see right now, by the way, stocks at the highs of the day. Uh, yeah, Scott, uh, a couple of things. I think NVIDIA tells us what stocks can do that aren't heavily shorted. NVIDIA didn't have a short position, but still did what looks like a sky needle move. Um, I think a Fed staying at 5% for two years is tight, but it's not an equity killer because I think the 10 year is still gonna see it at three and a half or four. That's really the, since 1930, that's when the highest realized PEs take place is between a three and a half and a five and a half percent 10 year yield. So I know it sounds like I'm fighting, uh, especially 2022 market narratives, but if you look at a 90 year market narrative, 10 year pinned at three and a half to five and a half percent is actually a 20 PE. And I think it, it gives us sort of the option value of inflation coming in softer. I, I, I think the thing we don't know is there's no tiebreaker yet that inflation's cooling. But I think today's PC data kind of tells us it could, it could drop sharply over the summer. I mean, it just feels like it's pretty sticky, if, if nothing else. And, and the, the calls that you've had of late, and let, let's just say the last few months, that inflation was going to fall much further. It was falling and it was going to continue to fall much further. Um, maybe somewhat suspect by the fact that it, it looks a little stickier, I think is fair to say, than maybe some had suggested. But let's do this. Let's welcome in Cameron Dawson, CIO at New Edge Wealth, and continue our conversation. It's nice to see you. Um, what do you make of, of what Tom has suggested? Well, I think that if we were to get to 47.50, we would be trading at 19 and a half times 2024 earnings at $243 a share. That is very expensive by historical standards. And the only times that we've traded up to those levels, if you're looking on a forward basis, not a current year basis, but forward basis, is during bubbles, meaning the tech bubble and during the COVID bubble. And the COVID bubble was supported by incredible stimulus to this market, meaning money supply growing 30%, real interest rates negative 1%. And so if we look at where there could be risk, if we trade up to those levels, but you don't have Fed support, you're really in a whole new world of territory where we simply would be trading at unprecedented valuations. Tom, how do you respond? Well, as you know, they say a, a bubble is when your neighbor owns a stock that's making money. Uh, and what I mean by that is, I don't think the S&P is that expensive when you exclude Bang. It's trading at roughly 15 times forward earnings. And in fact, the two most expensive sectors outside of Bang are healthcare and utilities and staples. So the question is that if you're worried about valuation, I'd argue there's a valuation bubble in defensive stocks in the same way that there's a bubble in money market cash balances. Households are sitting on more cash than any time since even the pandemic. In fact, if you look at margin 
debt as a percentage of the S&P, it's down to 1.4%. That's, that's the internet.com bubble low. There's been a huge deleveraging out of equity. So I think if we let price discover, the stock market is saying that most stocks are at 14, 15 PE. That's not expensive. To get to 47.50 for the rest of the market, that's getting towards a 16 multiple. I don't think that's bubble territory. I mean, the other part of, of what Tom has suggested is, you know, even though you've had pretty hawkish Fed speak, is don't so much listen to that, listen to what the bond market is saying. And even though, as I suggested to Tom, the bond market's come a little closer yeah. of late to the Fed, um, that's the place that you should look. Inflation's gonna come down faster than people think. The Fed's not going to have to do what it says, and the bond market's forecasting that. Pricing in the pivot and expecting that to come where the bond market essentially bends the Fed to its will and gets it to price in easier policy has been the widowmaker trade since the beginning of this tightening cycle. And we're seeing it today where now there's over a 60 percent chance of a hike in June. Just a few weeks ago, that was zero. And so I don't think that the Fed is done, which means that there's still potential for upward pressure on interest rates. And right now we're in this suspension of disbelief where interest rates apparently do not matter for the equity market. We've had periods like this. They haven't necessarily lasted for long. So either the equity market is expensive given the current interest rate backdrop or interest rates will fall because the bond market is now pricing in a too tight policy path. We think it's likely more the former where interest rates are reflective of the real reality of this economy. Because it is pretty remarkable, Tom, isn't it, that the stock market at least has sort of looked the other way. As I'm asking you this question, I said we're at the highs of the day. We're, you know, 42.10 on the S&P, greater than 340 on the Dow. Interest rates have crept up seemingly almost every day, and the stock market is kind of turning a blind eye to it. Scott, I, I actually understand that narrative, and I, I think it even it, it dovetails with someone saying, the bond market isn't necessarily saying there's a soft landing, maybe even a hard landing, because if the Fed's serious and we have an inverted curve, that's a hard landing. But when I look at the market, and, and we know that much of this advance has been driven by FANG, which is solving inflation, I don't want to be sort of throwing out uh, speculation, but you know, one thing we have to keep in mind is that we're already seeing companies slow hiring plans because of the potential benefits from AI and machine learning that's exactly the dynamic that Volcker was trying to achieve when he was trying to push wage pressures down. So I think there's mechanisms underway that explain why Fang is leading. And the rest of the stock market, therefore, can kind of come into line one direction or the other. If it's a soft landing, there's going to be a huge expansion of market breadth. That's why I think industrials and financials are trying to, even the autos are starting to sort of push above their 200-day and 20-day moving averages, you know, basically enter a bull trend. But Yes, we haven't had a tiebreaker moment, but I think that there's too many people in the camp that this is a hard landing and they're trying to argue that the stock market is irrational. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the FANG move was actually, it's really a thematic trade that's been built around AI and automation. And you're seeing the numbers from the companies delivered. I mean, NVIDIA shows it. It's not a bubble. It's actually real growth. I mean, you are kind of one of these people, right, that Tom's referring to, hard landing, recession probably inevitable and the stock market valuation now relative to your view is irrational to use Tom's word. 
Well, our call has been that a recession would come later than people expected and that growth likely will hold up better than expected. And that's what we have seen to begin this year. And I think where we have been wrong or where we've seen the market move against us is that we did expect better data, which means tighter Fed, which in the past has meant lower valuations, mostly for growth in tech stocks. And that simply hasn't happened this year. It could just be because of AI and because of the prospect of that E exploding to the upside, pricing in that future potential. It could also be because of liquidity. We know liquidity has been a tailwind because of the spending down of the Treasury cash balance. There has been liquidity added to this market, and that typically is very supportive of growth and tech valuations. And so it's a question on the other side of the debt ceiling as that liquidity fades, does that become an issue for these valuations? Tom, have you have you have any sympathy at all for those who suggest that we were we were saying the same types of things and and using the same justifications in 1999 and saying well you know that then it was eyeballs and it was total addressable market and here we are talking about the potential total addressable market for ai to justify a move that nvidia has has had this week or a Marvell, which has had an even greater week than NVIDIA and sort of got lost in the AI shuffle, if you will. But how do you respond to those who who say, you know, this is the same kind of stuff I heard in in 1999, and we all know how that story ended? Uh, Scott, I think it's a a good question to ask. Uh, I was a technology analyst in 99, working at JP Morgan, covering a sector that had uh, very high valuations, wireless. That market meant that when I told an analyst, uh, our sales source, I had a buy rating on a stock and the upside was only 20% over the next 12 months, they said, Tom, that's a neutral. Why are you wasting our time? There was a change in market expectations at the time that you could make 20% in stocks in a week. Today, the opposite environment exists. Six strategists on the sell side changed their price target for the S&P this year. Four of them were price target raises. Interestingly, Four of the six are still 10% below where the S&P is today. The strategists have become a little more bullish, but they still think we're going to fall off a cliff. I don't think any investor I meet is actually constructive. Uh, I was fortunate to meet many uh, investors and companies over the past few weeks, including uh, at the summit, CNBC summit. And I found a huge divergence between how investors think we're already in a recession and companies that are managing through this really well saying, They prepared for a recession last year. They either cut CapEx, cut inventory, or slowed hiring, and that recession's not happening. They have to start going into early cycle mode and expanding because they've really been on a a huge strict diet for the last 18 Mm -hmm. months. I know you fancy yourself a market historian, too, um, and I know you're well-versed on on the history of the market. Now, how do you think about that question to Tom, his answer relative to 99 and now? I think that we're probably earlier innings in this whole part of an upcycle or potential bubble in AI than 1999. Maybe we're a few years before that, meaning that we are seeing the earnings deliver, and you're not at the point where all the tide is lifting any boat that has anything to do 
do with AI or not even close to AI. So the thing with bubbles to remember is that they can last a lot longer and they can get a lot sillier before they end. But it's always important to remember that on the other side of a bubble, there's typically a crash. So the biggest discipline is to always gut check and say, am I pricing in the entirety of the future growth into today's valuation? And with NVIDIA, it's actually trading at a lower valuation today than it was two days ago. That's exactly right. That's so exactly the right. Earnings because, are well, because of the, the earnings, because mm-hmm. of the E. Yep. Um, it just reminds me, you know, it was Jim Breyer out at the conference that Tom was at that we just had our CEO uh, summit, our inaugural one out in California, where he suggested this was 95, mm-hmm. that this was the very early days of the internet. And again, we know how it ended. Doesn't mean this is going to be um, synchronous with that, but we'll see. Uh, Tom, thanks so much. That's Tom Thank Lee uh, joining us today, day. Cameron. Yep. Yeah, enjoy the long weekend. Uh, and you as well. We'll see you okay. soon. That's Cameron Dawson. All right, let's get to our Twitter question of the day. Do you agree with Tom Lee that the S&P 500 can hit 47.50 by year end? You can head to at CNBC closing bell on Twitter to vote. We got the results coming up a little later on in the hour. In the meantime, let's get a check on some top stocks to watch with Pippa Stevens as we head into the close. Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, the big week for the chips continues with shares of Marvell Technology surging 30 percent after the company beat top and bottom line estimates during the latest quarter. Shares rising to their highest level in more than a year, with CEO Matthew Murphy saying AI represents a, quote, tremendous opportunity, adding that while Marvell once thought of it as one of many applications within the cloud, its importance and therefore the opportunity has, quote, increased dramatically. Elsewhere in the semi-space, Broadcom hitting a new all-time high today. Oppenheimer reiterating its outperform rating on the stock. And, of course, earlier this week, the company striking a multi-billion dollar component supply agreement with Apple. Shares up about 19 percent since Monday, pacing for the best week in three years ahead of next Thursday's earnings report. Scott. All right, Pippa, thank you. We'll see you in just a bit. We're just getting started, though, here. Up next, Tech's big AI boost. You know about it by now. We'll talk about it as well with EMJ's Eric Jackson. He's back breaking down if the surge in the space can be sustained and if it's actually a good thing for the sector. We'll get that take coming up after the break. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Dow's up nearly 350. S&P over 4,200. We're right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. We're back. Tech has retaken the top spot as this year's best S&P sector on the back of NVIDIA surge this week. But the majority of sectors outside the immediate AI hype are still negative in 2023. So is this growing divergence a bullish tailwind for the tech trader or a warning sign for that space? Let's ask EMJ's Eric Jackson. He's back with us. Nice to see you. Welcome back. 
Thanks for having me. I mean, that is a pressing question. But what I also noticed from looking at, at you know, what I have of your holdings, you don't have a lot of AI exposure, do you? Well, the, the AI has been dominated by the big tech players and NVIDIA, obviously. Yesterday was like a very interesting tape, I think, Scott, because you had the NASDAQ up 2%. NVIDIA was obviously up, whatever, 25%. But ARC was negative on the day yesterday. Russell was negative on the on the day. And that speaks to kind of the story of the first half of 2023 so far. It's 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 been big tech dominated. A lot of the smaller, mid-sized tech names uh, are back to kind of their December lows uh, after a big jump to the start of the year. So I, I, you know, and I think it's reflective of the fact that you need a lot of money to invest in AI. And so that's, it, it does make sense that these big, big tech names have been the big winners about this interest in, the, in this computing platform shift to AI. No, but I mean, Arc, for example, is not, I don't know that that's the greatest example you know, Kathy Wood got out of NVIDIA in, in January and, and missed the entire entire ramp. I mean, had she stayed in NVIDIA, ARC would be right up there uh, because of the weighting of the stock that she once held, along with what is a still reasonably sized tech stock, tech stock called Tesla. Yeah, true. But um, taking taking NVIDIA out of the ARC holdings, I mean, ARC has kind of become symbolic of a certain type of, of tech stock. It's it's not the big the big Microsoft, Apple, Google names. It's the next generation names. And so my 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 argument, Scott, is and I think you quoted this stat uh, with Tom on the last segment is, is like if you took out the big, you know, the big fang names, I think you said something like, uh, you know, the, the tech area would be up like 4% on the year. So my point is, we haven't seen the broadening out yet. And so, you know, you, you could say one natural question is, man, you know, this is a bubble and all these big tech names have, have got to come back to down to earth where the rest of these other tech names are. Or are we going to see, and this is what I believe, you know, uh, a, a bit of a catch up and a bit of a broadening out of, of this rally from just the confines of the big tech names uh, to the wider uh, group of, of tech names out there. That's I mean, what the, I expect. The, the question I was going to ask is, as you said, you know, what, what would the question be? It would be, why wouldn't we? Why, 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 I mean, sorry, why would we see a broadening out? Like if you're, if you're not in, let's just say, I mean, it feels like everybody on planet Earth at this point is in the, the big five. Um, mm -hmm. But then when you start looking below, it's like, okay, well, maybe I'm in NVIDIA, but am I in, am I in Marvell? Am I in AMD? Am I in some of these other chip names that are going to be at the forefront of this technological revolution? So that's where maybe the money goes, not all the way to the bottom of the, the, the tech stream. I, I, you know, you, you were having this conversation about is this a bubble? Is this not a bubble? Are we in 1999 and so forth on, you know, previous to this? Um, and so I would, you know, say, you know, what's my argument for why this thing's going to broaden out to, to, to more, you know, to, to more names in the, in the world of tech is that we, we haven't gotten to the silly stage yet. Uh, we don't see SPACs IPOing. In fact, when was the last time we talked about any IPO in tech happening this year? It's, the IPO window is firmly shut. This has been a rally that's only been with these big tech names. So we don't have stupid behavior. We don't have stupid speculation happening. A lot of people have missed out on the move in NVIDIA, me included. 
Uh, and so I don't agree with Cameron, although I respect her work from the, from the last segment. I, I don't think that we are you know, in this highly speculative uh, phase yet. We don't see game stocks and other you know, meme stocks, stocks exploding. So I think that uh, we could be just at the beginning stages here of a bigger move. How big is this move to, to AI really going to be? You know, obviously, uh, when, when the world shifted to mobile in 2007, 2008, that was a significant computer platform shift. But, you know, the metaverse wasn't a few years ago. That was a, that was a nothing burger. I think AI is the real deal. I mean, when a company raises its guidance for next quarter by $4 billion above consensus, I mean, that's real dough, Scott. You know, that, that, that's not a bubble. You no, know, I, hear, I hear you, but well, I almost feel like, I almost feel like to, to get the broadening out, that, that you're talking about, you know, lower down the tech food chain, so to speak, you would have to get to the silly stage. And the silly stage would actually be every company under the sun starting to talk about AI as if they're players in it, even if they're not. And that is what takes you over the line of what we witnessed back in the, you know, the bubble days of the, the late 90s. Yeah, I mean, and that always happens. I mean, we saw that a few years ago with people putting blockchain in their names of their companies. We saw it in the 90s when people started, you know, attaching a Linux to their names and hoping of getting a big IPO pop when they came public. So, yeah, it's, it's natural that people are going to, you know, put AI into their names. You know, you have to be very, it's a real move to AI. Uh, and I think NVIDIA is, is the key uh, player here. They are the compute that's driving this revolution. But you have to be careful with some of these smaller names, like a like a C3 AI, for example. You know, I, I think uh, there's there's more fizzle, you know, there than 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 substance. Are you short that name? I'm not, but you know, there are there are others like that. Um, and once once you get to the smaller market cap stage, I think just you got to do your due diligence on these names. I think there's there's a reason why the biggest players have been benefiting the most this year. They have a lot of money to spend at this problem. Smaller names, people will find their niches. People will will be successful. But don't just think because it has AI attached to the story that it's suddenly, it's automatically gonna be successful. No, I hear you. And certainly one of the things I think about is for somebody like you who doesn't have that much exposure in that area is whether you're thinking about doing some of that. But when I look at your recent moves, for, for example, it's Trade Desk, it's Twilio, um, it's not in the epicenter of this mania. No. I mean, I, I'm looking at NVIDIA right now, even after this huge move, um, uh, because I think it has the chance to kind of be the, the VMware, kind of the dominant platform of this particular generation for this move to AI. Uh, the other name, and, and people have been so wrong, but you know, everyone, everyone's complained about the, you know, the PE of, of NVIDIA. PE was expensive 15 years ago for NVIDIA. They've always been on the cutting edge and people have always underestimated what, what their, their revenues and earnings are gonna be. And so you, you have to uh, you know, discount uh, what, what consensus is. But I do think that there will be this broadening out. And so there are some names like, like the couple that you mentioned, Trade Desk, uh, and more so even Twilio. Twilio is sort of, was, at least a couple of weeks ago after their last earnings, flat yeah. on its back in terms of its uh, valuation and historical multiples and stuff. So I, I like those names to come back. All right, good stuff. Be well, we'll see you soon. Eric, thank you. That's Eric Jackson. Up next, the debt ceiling duel. We take you live to DC for the very latest in those negotiations. Plus Amazon shares, Amazon shares accelerating today. What's behind that move higher? We'll tell you next, closing bell right back. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. We're following the latest developments in the debt ceiling battle. Kayla Tausche live at the White House with an update for us. Kayla? Scott, negotiators are getting close to a deal, but now they're down to the final issues and they're proving to be very thorny issues. One Republican negotiator telling reporters that uh, the leaks are not helping and that they're not just trying to hit one type of number, one spending number. They're trying to change the overall trajectory of spending in this country. Here's House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in his own words. We know it's not easy. But we're going to make sure we're not just trying to get an agreement. We're trying to get something that's worthy of the American people that changes the trajectory. So we're going to work just as hard. We worked through the night last night. I thought we made progress yesterday. I want to make progress again today. And I want to be able to solve this problem. The time frame for the debt ceiling deal and the overall spending level are two of the most critical sticking points, even still according to sources who note that nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to. But there are still some contours of a deal that are starting to take shape. For instance, we've heard from Democratic sources that the deal is expected to see two-year budget caps on non-defense discretionary spending, but higher defense spending. COVID aid would be clawed back, as would some funding for the IRS. And Discussions on work requirements for aid programs and new permitting reforms are still ongoing. Both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue huddled with their teams to figure out next steps. Uh, Patrick McHenry, the GOP congressman who's among the lead negotiators, said it could be one, two, three days before they get a deal, even as negotiators try to finish something by sundown tonight when the president is expected to leave for Camp David. Scott. All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche at the White House. Shares of Amazon, meantime, moving higher as well today, better than 4%. Deirdre Bosa here with what's driving that move. D. So the Amazon AI case is becoming more clear. Investors are excited about the opportunity in advertising and its cloud unit, which will be the infrastructure giving other companies additional computing power as they incorporate AI. And you're seeing that play out in today's 4% pop after Evercore wrote about it. But, Scott, this is not a home run like NVIDIA chips or Microsoft's ChatGPT. So... That's why when you zoom out over a longer time frame, this is a major underperformer relative other mega caps. Now, the other dynamic at play here is what you're looking at right now. Yes, generative AI may lead to new products, new tools to boost growth, but it also brings new costs. So it's a bit of a balancing act. Amazon Cloud, along with Microsoft and Google, by the way, they now need to upgrade servers and infrastructure on the back end so that they can give customers that computing power needed that in turn increases their capital expenditures or CapEx at a moment when they're also trying to be more profitable and disciplined. And Scott, this is what it comes down to. At this point in the AI hype cycle, you were just talking about this with your previous guest, Eric, you need to be talking numbers like Marvell and NVIDIA. Amazon's not doing that yet. Not yet, but we'll see. Dee, thank you. That's Deirdre Bosa out in San Francisco, as you can see for us. Up next, we're tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close. About 20 minutes left. Pippa Stevens standing by with that. Pippa? Hey, Scott. One stock is popping as it makes its debut. We've got the details coming up. Just about 15 minutes to go now before the closing bell. Let's get back to Pippa Stevens now for a look at the key stocks. She is watching, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, Arista Networks is firmly in positive territory today as investors continue pouring into names 
that could benefit from the AI boom. Analysts are largely optimistic that Arista could deliver the high-performance, high-capacity networking infrastructure that AI requires. That stock was less than 1% from its all-time high at today's session high, and it's only a few minutes away from its best week since 2021, up more than 17%. And Atmos Filtration Technology shares are up double digits on their first day of trading as the Cummins spinoff raises at least $275 million in its debut. That makes it one of the largest U.S. IPOs in a relatively slow year so far. Shares opened midday at $21.67 after pricing at $19.50. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa. Thank you, Pippa Stevens. Last chance to weigh in on our Twitter question. We asked, do you agree with Tom Lee from the very top of our show today that the S&P can hit 47.50 by year end? Head to at CNBC closing bell on Twitter. Do it quick because the results are coming after this break. The results of our Twitter question, we asked, do you agree with Tom Lee that the S&P can hit 47.50 by the end of the year? And the majority of you said yes. All right. Talk about that after the break with Mike Santoli, of course. And we also have some startling market stats that might surprise you. Why our next guest is forecasting some upside for the rest of this year as well. That, of course, when we take you inside the market zone. I mentioned yesterday the wonderful tradition here in New York City around Memorial Day. It is Fleet Week, and as you can see, the men and women of our military making their way into the New York Stock Exchange onto the floor where they are going to ring the closing bell uh, today. And they're going to be led by Admiral Daryl Caudill. He is commander of the U.S. Fleet Forces Command. He is highly decorated, you can see. Uh, he is behind the podium here. I'll get ready to go upstairs with a select group of folks to actually ring the closing bell. His personal decorations, by the way, include the Navy Distinguished Service Medal, Defense Superior Service Medal, four awards there, the Legion of Merit, another four awards, the Meritorious Service Medal, three awards, Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal, five awards, and the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, another four. Just a wonderful tradition as we salute the men and women of our military ahead of Memorial Day. And of course, we remember the fallen as well. I think we'll take you in the market zone now as we wind down this day, about eight, seven, eight minutes to go or so. Our CNBC senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, here to break down the crucial moments of the trading day. Ryan Dietrich's with us of Carson Group on what history can tell us about the S&P's next move. Leslie Picker looking ahead to keep bank balance sheet numbers uh, after the bell. All right, Mike, uh, so we're going for a close above 42. Uh, the Dow's up good for 330. What, what thoughts do you want to leave us here ahead of this holiday weekend? Well, uh, actually, understandable to a degree that the Twitter poll had people thinking that there could be a decent amount more upside because of the way that the index itself has uh, acquitted itself. And everyone's scrutinizing it and for good reason talking about how uneven it is, how lopsided the leadership is. But the last time we were basically at 4,200, just shy of that. On February 2nd is when we first reached it this year. The market actually looks less expensive than them because earnings estimates on a 12-month forward basis 
are a bit higher. At the same time, the average stock uh, is, is actually a, a fair bit lower and therefore that much less overvalued if you think it's overvalued at all. So yields are about where they were then on the 10-year and the two-year, maybe a little higher right now. So it seems as if nothing is particularly out of whack except this unease around the fact that the market internally has just been out of gear and you've just had uh, really just so much dominance by those handful of huge stocks that are able to seize upon this new kind of AI enthusiasm and that one big fundamental affirmative story that people are willing to play right now. Got some big spikes this week, Mike to live up to in the weeks ahead. And it's not just NVIDIA. It's, as I said, and we've been looking at all day, Marvell's actually had a bigger week than NVIDIA. Yeah. And it's not alone in, in the numbers and the names that we've seen and just just been astounding. It absolutely has. Uh, I, I think it's really the speed and magnitude of the revenue estimates going up as you basically have a buying panic, it seems, in some of these products to build the capabilities. And the stocks are trying to catch up for that. Maybe they're overinterpreting it and extrapolating too far in, in the future in terms of this level of demand. But right now, it seems like an incredibly localized uh, kind of excitement in this one area. Not a lot of broadening out in terms of yeah, people saying, let me buy some super speculative long shot play on this. It seems so far to be the ones that still have something substantive underneath it. All right, Ryan Dietrich, what does this tell you? This action as we finish this session, we finish this week, and remarkable it's been in many ways as we've just discussed what's happened around AI and tech and whether it tells you anything about whether you, th you think it can continue or not. Yeah, Scott, thanks for having me again. Happy Memorial Day, and thanks to everyone who keeps us safe. You know, you think about it, yesterday was 100th day of the year. This is a really good start to the year. We looked at history, Scott. When you gain at least 7% for the year as of day 100, like we did this year, the rest of the year gains like 9.5% on average and has been up about like 89% of the time. Now, yes, there's lots of different factors, but I think it's really important. Carson Investor Research, the Carson Investor Research team, we've been overweight equities for a while. We say we're probably going higher and just look at today's data consumption real consumption is like running at six percent okay the durable goods number was good Ear earnings we know in the video we've talked about it non-stop there we we don't think we're in a recession we don't think we're headed to a recession that's the realization that's going to get this market going higher likely pop above 4200 and probably have a surprise summer rally we think here i know but at some point you need some others to come play don't you yeah. Now you do. You're talking about you talk about market breadth. And I, I totally agree. I mean, Mike pointed out. We've all been pointing it out. It's those large names. We are overweight small caps. We're, we added some financial exposure not too long ago. We think it is going to broaden out with the realization that the economy is not going into recession. You know, we're going to need to see that. But again, from a well diversified basket of stocks, if someone's just blindly buying one thing, sure. But if you buy a basket of stocks, we think there's some real good opportunity still. Um, you know, going on. One more on for you. S and P had made a new high. Or I'm sorry, wrong thing. They had made a new low. For almost seven months. You look back at history, it's extremely rare for the S&P to break the previous lows. We've been on a record since late last year saying we're not breaking those October lows. It's just more signs. Hey, we can maybe go sideways at 4,200 a little more, but we think those lows were it. And again, the economy looks good and we're, we're still going higher in our opinion here. All right, Ryan, we'll talk to you soon. Ryan Dietrich, Carson Group joining us. Leslie Picker, we have bank balance sheet data coming out. What are we looking for? We do, Scott. This is the so-called H8 data that the Fed puts out after the bell on Fridays. If you recall, last week's data showed deposit levels as of May 10th, indicating yet another decline. All commercial banks at the time combined saw deposits fall by $26.4 billion, the lowest level in almost two years. Over the last month, small banks experiencing the bulk of the withdrawals with... 
uh, deposits down more than 3% at small banks compared with 0.9% at large domestic banks. And total outflows, uh, regardless of size, month over month have been negative 1.6%. The data is a bit dated, though. And ever since May 10th, just if we want to look at stocks for comparative purposes, the regional bank ETF, KBWR, up more than 5% more than double the gains of the S&P and Dow over the same time frame. So obviously, stock prices not quite the same as deposit levels, but they do tend to have, especially in this current environment, somewhat of a cyclical effect as customers see stock prices fall, they make it a little jittery, take their money out. If stock prices are rising, we'll see if we get kind of the opposite effect, Scott. All right, we will. Leslie, thank you. That's Leslie Picker. All right, Mike Santoli, so the Dow's been down five days in a row. We're going to end that. Yeah. NASDAQ's been up five weeks in a row. We're extending that. And then next week, we've got CRM, that's Salesforce and Broadcom reporting their earnings, and those are going to be key again in, in this AI road ahead. They will. Um, we are, I think, uh, you know, at the tag end of, of earnings season, and it's enough for people to say that it's flattened out as opposed to having uh, taken a step down. Uh, that takes some of the valuation pressure off, obviously. And, you know, the economy, as, as Ryan was saying, it, it hasn't stumbled uh, as readily as, as people were perhaps positioned for. So I think this is a battle-tested market in the sense that we, you know, we took the hit from, uh, from rates spiking because we got hot January data. We took the hit from the, the mini regional banking crisis, which is now kind of a slow bleed as opposed to a panic out. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that that means that we're justified for every penny that we built up in market cap in the S&P 500, but it seems as if we've been kind of burning off a lot of uh, that pessimism that is built up, and we still see investors maybe reluctant to play here. I'm not sure that's enough to, for further upside in a straight line, but it, uh, it certainly helps to explain why we got here. All right. Well, we're going for 4,200 and above on the S&P. We'll see if we can get that close. We'll see Mike tonight on Taking Stock, our special at 6 p.m. I'm letting Fleet Week take us out. Have a good holiday weekend, everybody. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.